All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hey there it's michelle norris i'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when i travel i'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when i'm not at home and one of the things i love to do when i am at home is entertain and airbnb allows me to do that when i was in california recently i rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Good afternoon, Canucks fans. What a day. What a day this has turned out to be. Welcome to another episode of Canucks Conversation. My name is Dave Guadrelli. That is Harmon Dial. Our technical producer, the man at the controls, is Grady Sasson. Our intern, Lachlan Irvin. Uh, it is a busy, busy day here at, as I always say, the iconic Sheraton Wall Center. A lot of Canucks news to get to, and we're going to get to all of that. But before we do that, I need to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by HSBC World Rugby Sevens, which, if you didn't know, is Western Canada's largest sporting event. This year is the ninth time the event has visited Vancouver as part of the World Rugby Sevens series, February 23rd to 25th. BC Place is going to be the place to be, so grab your friends and your best costume and head on down. Tickets on sale now at vansevens.com, starting from just $40 per day. But you got a chance to win. We still have a, a good number of spots here. You, you can still, still get a chance to win. If you want to go, we've got a four-pack of tickets for the entire weekend to give away. Text hashtag sevens, that's S-E-V-E-N-S, to 778-402-96. 8-0 for your chance to win. We will be giving away a four-pack each week until the event had text. Hashtag sevens to 778-402-9680 to enter. That's a tough read. I'm glad you're uh, you're doing it and not me. It is a tough read. You know who else was reading? Francesco Aquilini. His little statement this morning. And man, 
when's the last time actually i think we've said this about the rutherford era i think when rutherford first got hired where we said when's the last time there was a canucks press conference where it was like all good news came out of it and i think the rutherford's first press conference as president was the last time that we said that so i answered my own question but yes Tim Rutherford gets his extension from the Vancouver Canucks. Francesco Aquilini and Rutherford spoke to Assembled Media and me uh, this morning at 11 o'clock at Rogers Arena. And it was a good, it was a good time. It was a good interview. Uh, Good press conference, I'd say. Yeah, and of course, it's obviously a lot easier talking about good news when you're sitting first place in the NHL. uh, First team to get to 30 wins, leading the NHL in goal differential. You got five All-Stars and your head coach going to the uh, All-Star game. Man, it's uh, it's the perfect timing for something like this. And doing it ahead of the deadline in terms of the extension done, I think is, um, is great in sort of keeping the drama-free sort of um, vibe of the season, right? You think back Absolutely. to the way they didn't make the Quinn Hughes captaincy announcement a huge huge show there you go they made the announcement quick clean didn't make a huge uh show of it then even in general i think of course there's been some stuff going on with the Patterson talks but Patterson himself has tried to quiet the noise mm-hmm. as much as possible he's gone out and continued playing at a terrific rate which is the best way to make sure that he's not asked about it on a day-to-day basis that it's not this like massive panicking yeah. storyline even though we've spent time here they're still talking about it and uh to get the extension done now there's none of that going into the offseason and even looking forward to the trade deadline the Canucks have stability and now Rutherford has a job security that he can prioritize both the short and long-term interests of the franchise he can do what is best for this team like you said in the short and long term when you make a trade in the NHL it's viewed through multiple lenses one lens that any trade the Canucks make now won't be viewed through is well Rutherford's just trying to keep his job that's not going to be a lens that this is viewed through Much like we've seen the alignment from management to the coaching staff and the impact that's had on the team this year, we're also seeing an alignment from ownership to management that you really, truly believe is there based on what we're seeing on the ice and off the ice and what we saw this morning. You do believe that there is this alignment from ownership to management all the way through the organization. I think it's the first time in a long time that we can say that where Everybody in the Canucks organization seems to be aligned. They seem to all be working toward the same goal. And right now, we know what that goal is. It might be brought up in our bet way better the day. I don't know. But I do want to say I love the timing of this for a couple reasons. The biggest one is with the win over the Arizona Coyotes last night, which I don't even know if we're going to have time to talk about it. But with that win, Canucks go back into first in the NHL. Not only was that brought up like seven times in the press conference today, Aquilini had my favorite quote of the press conference. And we're, we're going to get to a few of them. Francesco Aquilini said, this team is on pace to win the President's Trophy. And I absolutely loved that quote because if they lost yesterday, they would not be on pace to win the President's Trophy. Technically, they're not quite on pace because of games played and points percentage and everything, but they're well on their way. And I just absolutely loved that from Francesco Aquilini. I thought that was a great, great quote. Yeah, I think the overall point he was trying to make is who knows, we're, we're in that conversation where uh, sort of right there, and, of course, you referenced that uh, the 2011 and 2012 team had won back-to-back President's Trophy. So, uh, it was, you could see, you mentioned the alignment. You could see how positively Aquilini and Rutherford both view this team in the sense that I think it's pretty clear that they both think that with the right moves, this team can contend for a cup. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Wyatt Arndt's going to join us later. 
White Art is going to join us later in the show. We have a lot to get to today, folks, like I said. So we're going to do our best to fit everything in. But this is one thing uh, that I wanted to get to, and it was all the quotes. that We, we picked four quotes from this Q&A session that Aquilini and Rutherford did. Two from Rutherford, two from Aquilini, and we're going to break down each one. But before we do that, we need to tell you that this segment is brought to you by our friends over at Four Winds Brewing family-owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy-drinking beer, a beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. You know Francesco and Jim are cracking themselves some Four Winds Light right now. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. Okay, uh, let's get to this here. There's a few that we really wanted to get to. I think the first one that we'll get to is Rutherford on the Canucks deadline approach and talking about the potential of not adding to a team and adding to the team as well. The the team identity that's been developed here, how careful do you have to be when you look to potentially improve this group ahead of the trade deadline, uh, understanding that dynamic that you've built here, that you make the right changes, bring in the right people, those sorts of things. Well, you can make the right changes and it can still not work. So there's, there's a risk in it, but there's also a risk in not trying to improve the team when you get to a certain level. And I've seen that with teams where I say, wow, that team's pretty good. And then they don't do anything. So that's what we talk about. We've been talking about that for a month now within our hockey operations, trying to decide what we want to do. Um, but Patrick has said this, and this is what we say in meetings. This group of players and coaches deserve the, uh, the best opportunity that they can to compete going forward. And that's what we talk about every day and we have to make a decision on. The, the most interesting thing about that quote, Harmon, is the idea of, yes, it's important that when you make a move, you make the right move, but not making a move because you're scared of making the wrong move. And I think this is this aligns quite well with what we know of Rutherford and what his track record has shown us is that he's not afraid to go out and make that move. And it does not look like this deadline will be any different. That quote tells me this Canucks team is for sure going to are for sure going to be buyers at the trade deadline. Absolutely. And it gives you that uh sort of uh idea in in more concrete sense because you now know that he's comfortable with that risk of we might go all in, we might make a big splash and it might not work out, but we'd rather have that than a scenario where we don't do anything. We don't give this group the best possible chance to win. And who knows, given the number of expiring contracts they have given how well everything has perfectly gone right for this team, which Rutherford himself will know too, right? Let's, he's not somebody who's living in a fairy world fantasy land that going into the season, he he fully believed that this was going to be their year to win a cup. He spoke about, we need everything to go right and we can be a playoff team. Now, obviously the team has exceeded his expectations, but the point I'm, I'm trying to sort of um, make there is because there's a moving target in that sense, he's able to calibrate his expectations and understand that, okay, just because I thought one thing going into the season, I, I can't update that. Um, And sorry, I kind of just lost my train of thought there. I'm not even gonna lie. Like (laughs) I I had, I had a good point that I wanted to make, but 
I thought it was a good point. It's okay. Um, this other quote from Rutherford is about Elias Pedersen. And Elias Pedersen has been coming up a l- quite a bit in recent days. And I thought this was a really telling quote. And we'll break it down after we hear it uh, from Jim Rutherford talking about Elias Pedersen. Only 11-18. I'm guessing you haven't been asked yet today about Elias Pedersen. Uh, he, I know the Pats are talking. Um, and But for now... He's still waiting. Yeah. As an organization, how long can you wait? My son asked me at 7 o'clock this morning, <laughs> just for the record. It's because he asked me almost every morning, just like everybody else wants to know. Um, look, we can wait. Um, I'll say the obvious. We keep saying it over and over. We really want him to stay. He's a very special player. He's very important to the Canucks. He's very important to the to the city. Um, and he can't walk at the end of the season. And that's the position that we've taken. We've taken it very comfortably. And so there's not anybody getting anxious here. Um, come the off season, then that things will get a lot more serious if if in fact the situation gets to that point. And I'd just like to add that from an ownership perspective, you know, we really want uh, Elias to stay. I mean, we're hoping that, you know, Jim can come to a conclusion with uh, with the agent and Elias, and hopefully we can get that done. I really, first of all, you, you heard in the clip, J-Pat was called on to ask the next question, and Francesco jumped in to offer the ownership perspective, as he put it. I really like that. I really like that from Francesco Aquilini. Also making it, again, Adding to what I just mentioned about alignment from up top all the way down, there's not a person in that organization that doesn't want Elias Pedersen there. They're trying to make him feel as welcome as possible. And hey, like at this point, it's like Rutherford said, there's not much more they can do right now. And they're not really in a position where they have to worry or rush. And when it gets to the offseason, if it gets to that, then maybe, yeah, you're your clock is kind of turned up because like, let, let's break down what it would look like real quick. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but what would it look like if we get to the end of June, start of July and Elias Pedersen still hasn't signed? Like, are they going to give him a qualifying offer that he can go? Oh sign? yeah, that's sure. But if he signs it is my point, it's rare for a player to sign their qualifying offer, but he would take that right to UFA status. So if he signs his qualifying offer, he would be taking a one year deal at a lesser cap it, but it would be a, I'm getting to UFA immediately and I'm going to get paid as a 20, how old is he? 25 year old. Yeah. But agency? you have to qualify him to retain his RFA status. Yeah. For the year that, so, so that's what I'm saying yeah. is if he signs, do they give him the chance to sign the qualifying offers? What I'm getting at, right? Cause that would be a disaster. It's not, uh, it's not going to get to that. Get to that's that my point. point. So you have to submit your qualifying offers by the end of June. So yeah. like Rutherford said, off season okay are we talking like start of june if you don't have a sense you can get this guy signed i okay i'm not saying i don't think they will give him a qualifying offer because they want to lose his rights i am saying they won't let it get to a point where they are in a position to give him a qualifying offer likely but we've seen plenty of rfa negotiations that go deep and you have to remember that both the player and team can elect for arbitration which uh I don't think that's the route that either side would want to go in. That in would be a disaster. Of, wouldn't necessarily be a disaster. You don't think so? Because taking Elias Patterson to arbitration. Well, here's the thing. When you file, it's like in a negotiation, mm-hmm. there are 
sort of deadlines and, and pressure points. Yep. File like the qualifying offer is one point. Then when you file for arbitration, either a player or team, yeah. like that's another one. And then the hearing itself is another pressure point. My point is the the final pressure point isn't when you first have to make that qualifying offer to him, that there are levels to it. Yep. Sure. It's the first major pressure point yeah. in the offseason is the is late June when you submit those qualifying offers, but it's not the final one where if you haven't gotten a deal done by then that you're panicking. Okay. I still that's think they figure something out before that qualifying offer is even sent. I mean, that's the ideal world. We know that. And uh, and I mean, I don't just mean that they will sign him. Like I I think based on based on that answer, what I'm getting from that is we're going to have to figure out what we're doing with this guy by that point. And it doesn't necessarily mean re-signing a Vancouver. It might mean trading the guy. It might mean that. And I don't want it to mean that. Nobody wants it to mean that. But when you talk about the pressure turning up in the offseason, to me, that's what Rutherford's talking about. Yeah, I don't think that... I get what you're saying. The point I'm trying to make is I don't think June is this massive deadline that if it hasn't been done by then, that you're panicking and that you're... Sure, sure. He's. He, it's not like he's for sure getting traded if you hit June and he's still not signed. That's exactly. Not that, that's I'm all I'm trying to point, sure. point out because I don't want us to get to late May and June and for, for there to be a ton of hysteria. Yeah. The other thing I'll say is the Canucks have made it very clear over these recent interviews last few weeks that they want, they want, I think both Patterson and the fan base to know that they're making every effort to yep. try and get this done, which matters because if you'll remember earlier in the season, there was a point when on, uh, on 30, on 32 thoughts, Elliot Friedman had sort of floated the idea that perhaps the Canucks weren't fully sold mm-hmm. on Patterson uh, in terms of a long-term extension, that both sides were weighing each other up, that it wasn't just Patterson trying to decide if this this was the long-term fit for him. And clearly, the Canucks don't want that to, to be the narrative. Clearly, that's sort of not the, the way they actually feel about him. And so it's... I, I thought that that angle is interesting too. And the other point, circling back to um, what when I was uh, forgetting the point I wanted to make, with Rutherford... He, the point I was trying to make was I think he realizes that everything has gone right for the team to be at a potential contender level, and mm-hmm. that that and that that opportunity may not happen every year. Yes, that's what I was trying to explain. That the team has exceeded his expectations greatly, and he may he may also realize that we not we may not be there yet in terms of being a sustained every year we're going to exactly. be contenders. We, yeah. may, we, may not, we may not have a really long window. So if this is a year where, where we actually look like contenders, then that might be the opportunity. To then they have to go for it. it. Yeah, and that's what we've been saying. Like you and I have been saying this in recent weeks, right? Is this might be your shot and you got to do it. And speaking of this might be your shot, let's get to the quotes from Francesco Accolini. I love this. Okay, first, this is him talking about, uh, PJ asked him this question, about this year's team versus the 2011 team because obviously he was around for that it was it was it was a different time i think the uh, i think this is this is very similar i think you know we're on pace maybe to win the president's trophy who knows um those teams won the pre, you know they won back-to-back president's trophy i think in terms of on ice performance i mean they're different players um i think that uh, you know both both teams are great i mean we don't know how the season's going to end up, but I mean, I think that uh, I think that's something we can be excited about. I think in 2010, 2011, there was a real buzz around the city. 
about how the team was doing. And, uh, you know, I, I remember going to some of the Southern California trips, you know, it was L.A., Anaheim, and Phoenix. And there were, there were more Canuck fans in the building than there were local fans. I, I remember that. That was quite impressive. And I think we're, we're starting to get there. Starting to get there. I think he's far too humble. You know why? Because <laughs> he, he was thinking it, I think. And he didn't come out and say it. He wanted to say this team's much better than the 2011 team. Stop it. Top to bottom. Yeah, I, I, was, I was expecting him to say, you know what, Patrick? I read an article on Canucks Army, and when I was watching Canucks Convo yesterday, they were talking about how much time this year's team has spent with the lead, and that was a really compelling argument. <laughs> it, it, in all seriousness, though, um, I did find it interesting that he did talk about that team in the sense of, look, like they've won, they, that team won back-to-back President's Trophies. You and I talked about it. That's the best team, one of the best teams to never win the Cup. And the fact that this team is even in the conversation for the President's Trophy is just such a surprise to all of us, I'm sure, uh, including Francesco as well. And then he talked about uh, what it means to him as an owner to see the fan base start to kind of come back a little bit here. Well, you touched on it earlier, just the fact that there does sort of feel like the buzz is coming back to town here. Uh, just anecdotally, like, what has that meant to you and, and to your family to, let's be honest, it's been a dark decade. So to have the season that you're having right now, what does that mean to you? It means a lot. I mean, uh, we've been waiting for this for a long time. And uh, it's, you know, it's starting the excitement again. I mean, as owners, you, you always, you want to be the owner that brings the cup to the, to the city. That's really, that's really, you know, every owner's ultimate dream. And, uh, and that pursuit that pursuit of the Stanley Cup. That, that's what it's all about. And, and uh, you know, as a family, we're committed to it. You know, we're going to do whatever we have to do. You know, we spend to the salary cap. We provide all the support. And, you know, my job is to support Jim to whatever he needs. And, but it, but it's, uh, it's exciting. I mean, it, you can see it with the fans in the building. Uh, the players are excited. And, uh, you know, this could be the year. Who knows? That's right. This could be the year. Like I said, he's been watching Canucks Convo. Um, well, I was going to say, <laughs> Canucks ownership has thought every year is their year for how long now? Do you remember how many times uh, they, like Francesco, around the time of training camp before the start of the season, would, t- would tweet out some like photo from Whistler or Victoria about this year's the year. So excited for the group we have assembled. And then he got dunked on and then didn't do it this year. So maybe the trick here is Francesco, as entertaining as his Twitter presence was, there's there's a correlation there between him. But he wasn't saying this is the year we win I the know. cup. He was talking about this is the year we make the playoffs. Now he's saying this is the year we bring a cup to Vancouver. He basically said, I already have the parade route planned. Anyways. Um... There was two. There were two quotes there that I didn't include in the audio, so I just want to kind of recap this one. This is one question I asked Jim about the major surgery quote that he gave last year. Like it was hard to believe that that was only last year that he gave that quote about how when I first got here, I didn't realize how big of a task this was going to be, and I asked him how that kind of changed at all, like with this season and how his perspective might have changed on that. And he was just looking, you know, he kind of reflected on it a little bit and said that it's, it's, it's been, it's been different than what he thought. Obviously he's talking about the surprises and everything, but 
Like he talked about a big part of that major surgery was the OEL bio. And he highlighted that in the answer to me. Um, and then obviously he was like, I'm not trying to pick on OEL and say he was the only problem here, but that gave us a lot of money to work with for this year to go get players. Like he highlighted Teddy Bluger, Pia Suter, he highlighted as well. And um, I just found that to be a really interesting answer because it kind of ties into with what Francesco just said about giving them all the resources that they can use. Like I ask you this harm. I mean, it's not even a question. It's a rhetorical question. If Jim Benning is still the GM of this team and says, Francesco, we would like to buy out the OEL contract. Do you think he's getting a yes on that? No. Yeah, I'm going to give you more cap space. I'm going to give you more cap space to go do what, whatever the hell you've been doing for the past 10 years. I want you to do more of that. There's no chance. That shows belief, again, top to bottom, top to bottom alignment. That shows belief in Jim Rutherford. That shows belief in this team. That shows belief in everything that Jim Rutherford's regime has built and continues to build in Vancouver. And I just found that really interesting that Francesco, you know, he's always talked about that commitment, but like we said, that's a big buyout. That's a, that's the biggest buyout in NHL history, right? Like that's a, that's, that's not a cheap ticket. And I actually, you know, personal regret. Like I actually regret not asking Francesco about that buyout and kind of his initial reaction to it and all that. Cause we don't, we don't talk to Francesco often, but uh, it would have been interesting to kind of hear his perspective on it. But again, you, you can guess based on his other answers that what he would have said is, well, I believe in what Jim is building and I believe in his um, appropriate usage of that cap space. Yeah. And when you talk about major surgery, Jim Rutherford had to, and Patrick Alvin had to pull off some really gutsy, bold, difficult decisions. One of them being the OEL buyout, but also of course, trading the captain that at the time, Bo Horvat, but the bolder move, even at a time when it looked like the franchise was not even close to winning anything meaningful to pull the trigger on a Philip Peronic trade. Yep. Knowing that Philip Peronic He's a really good player, but you only basically have this season where he is on a really friendly contract, meaning you have to account for, hey, this, this player is going to have a really big, really big cap hit down the road. So for us to, for, for this trade to work, we need to be a, a good team sooner rather than later, especially knowing that that trade was going to receive a lot of criticism in the market. So for this management group to have seen the vision of what this team could be, I think is, is massive. And one of the other things that uh, stood out to me as, as part of that uh, press conference was Rutherford mentioned that since especially talk, it has taken over that this team has turned from individuals to an actual team. And I think that's an underrated component to be able to actually see that, the, the core group was capable of that because there was a point last year where I genuinely wondered if this core group could win together mm-hmm. in terms of the pieces that they kind of uh, assembled because you had essentially two head coaches with Green and Boudreaux where they just weren't working in terms of playing a style that was ac- actually conducive to winning hockey. Like forget the point totals. We saw how this team Backchecked. We saw the type of wall work that they have. We saw how many odd man rushes they gave up, how many turnovers they would commit at the offensive blue line. And especially with Travis Green in, in 2021-22, do you remember when he tried to implement uh, a, a structure and basically said, we can't be a team that gives up anything off the rush? 
Well, it came at the expense of their offensive attack. I don't know if you remember that year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was painfully boring hockey, and it ultimately cost Travis his job. Low-scoring games, but low-scoring games that they were coming out on the wrong side of. Not to mention, you could also you could also sense that the players weren't really buying in. And I think the big difference in why they've been able to buy in under Rick Tockett here that maybe goes under-discussed is stability at the head coaching position. Because think about it. Players are constantly trying to manage the self-interest in the, in the sense that I've got to produce, I've got to get nice time, I need to worry about my next, my next contract, my career as a whole with the team success as a whole. So when you ask them to buy into playing uh, a stricter defensive style, when you ask them not to cheat for offense, there is some level of sacrifice that comes from the players in terms of their, their personal yep. pride. Because, sure, if you're a better defensive player, that's great. But if it comes at the expense of your point totals, potentially, then you may not make as much on your next contract. And when Green tried to implement those changes, I think everybody knew that this season doesn't work out. He's gone. And as soon as you lose a few games, the players know the storylines that are out there. They know the narrative. They know that, okay, if, if, this, guy, if this guy's not going to be here, here in a few months anyway, what's the point? Yep. And then same thing with Bruce Boudreaux last season. Yep. It was clear and, and pretty obvious when Bruce didn't get the extension that he wasn't management's guy. And so when you get off to that rough start on the first road trip, and he's trying to preach and, and get this team back on track. It, it's just not going to resonate in the it's locker room. Falling the same on deaf way. ears. Whereas you get Talkit now, he's locked up. He's management's guy. There's full alignment. You better listen, or you're not going to be part of the solution on this team. And that's the biggest difference, Harmon. We've talked. I, I don't know how many times we brought it up on this show. The organizational alignment. Talkit's their guy, and everybody in the market, every player in that locker room knows it. They are all pulling on the same rope right now. And I honestly, like, I'm trying to think of the last time there was legitimately this much alignment in the organization. And you'd have to go back to the Gillis years before Tortorella's hiring, for sure. Yeah. You'd have to go back that far, I think, to find it. Why it aren't is standing by, and why it aren't today is brought to you by our friends over at the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool game. Shots on goal, goals against average, and points per game can make or break your week. But don't overlook BPMM. Wendy's Bacon Portobello Mushroom Melt. Sure, it may not help you win weekly prizes with Wendy's and Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool Fantasy, but unlike my predictions, it never disappoints. Although this week, we'll get to it. Uh, so try your luck, but don't push it because the Bacon Portobello Mushroom Melt is only back for a limited time. If you miss it, you won't get a second chance. Sign up for Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool Game today, sponsored by Wendy's and the Wendy's app. Let's bring them in, Wyatt Arndt. Uh, Wyatt, to open things... I'm going to pull up. Oh, I forgot he has an intro. <laughs> Let it ride, boys. There it is. It feels good, right? It does. The only thing that feels better than that is a nice spicy chicken burger from uh, Wendy's. That's all. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Beautiful. I apologize. I genuinely forgot you had a uh, had an intro. <laughs> so, boys, how's it going? What can I do for you? Good. So I need I need your help. Sure. I uh, need to, to pick the final pick for the week for me on Wendy's Daily Face-Off Survivor. Uh, I've made it three of four rounds. There's only 25 people left in the game. I am one of those 25. It's tomorrow's game. Can you pull it up here, Grady? These are all the options I have to pick from, and I wanted to get your guys' opinions on it. So San Jose to win. Oh, Wyatt, we're getting feedback. Can you turn down your headphone volume there? I don't think I... <laughs> 
Oh, hold on. I'll crank it down. There we go. Is that better? So San Jose, to, yeah, it's better. San Jose to win. New York over four and a half goals. Vegas, I'm not going to read them all, but I'm leaning toward Wyatt Johnson to pick up a point tomorrow. I think that's going to seal the week for me. Do you have a pick for me that you want to uh, that you you want to stake your claim on? Honestly, I'm on my phone. I'm not. I'm not in the club with John Ham tonight, so I can't even see the screen. So I'm just going to go with your gut quads, whatever you're going with. I'm behind. <laughs> Perfect. That's all I need to hear. Wyatt Johnson. Okay. A lot of Canucks topics to get to, Wyatt. Uh, So let's do that. Jim Rutherford gets his extension. Uh, Just your initial reaction to that big news of the day. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're in this weird world. Like you guys were talking about Travis Green uh, versus talking. And it's kind of like, it's a great debate to be had. Uh, I think for me, the main difference is talking. Cause I think some uh, fans sent me a clip and it was like Mike Keenan talking about Rick talking as a player and how he's like an emotional leader. Uh, I think Talkin has that ability to kind of connect to the players that Green didn't have. Um, but overall, it's, you know, when a team wins, everything looks good. And especially when they're riding this heater, like everything looks fantastic. So it's really easy to kind of want to keep that going. And for me, the big interesting part will be like, if this team struggles, like will the narrative around Talkin change? Because right now, anything he touches is gold. But when they struggle, we'll see what happens. So in terms of Rutherford, it's kind of the same thing. Like, how do you not extend that? Like, you know, I you can talk all day about like when the, when things going to fall apart, but end of the day, the team has done tremendously better than it has in a decade, and you're going to reward that. So I feel like that was a pretty easy slam dunk kind of signing from the Canucks, to be honest. When you look back at Jim Rutherford's tenure with the Canucks so far, is there a move that stands out to you as underrated or uh, or, or something that was really instrumental to the success that they have right now that maybe we don't highlight as much? Um, I don't think there's like a secret ingredient that we're all missing in this one. Like, I'm not gonna be like, hey, guys, guess what? I've done the research. It's this one small thing. But I will say for me, the biggest thing has kind of been finding those wins in the bottom six. And again, that's not like that's a secret. We've all talked about it. But that has been a huge transition for this club that has in the past overspent money on the Jay Beagles and the Antonio Russells of the world. And, and it's sets up a very interesting move forward because we look at someone like uh, Dakota Joshua who's having a fantastic season. Uh, Bluger, fantastic season. They're part of what is now being recognized as the best third line of league by many people. Two of those guys are free agents heading into the offseason. So all of a sudden they can get, they can cash in. They can, all of a sudden they're going to make, hey, maybe they get $3 million, $4 million. And all of a sudden they're part of that old guard of now, are you overpaying for that type of player? So, you know, the big part for me would be like, well, was that like lucky? Did they just strike gold? Or are they, does the pro department just like locked in? They're able to, to recognize the players they want and kind of bring them in. Like that kind of that Tampa Bay style, bringing the guys when they're affordable and then move them out when they're not. Is that something Vancouver kind of stumbled into or is that something they actually keyed in on? And that for me is the big interesting part kind of, you know, for the future. Like, will they be able to, you know, replace, like say Joshua wants a ton of money or Blue Girl wants a ton of money. They're going to need to find guys to replace that and kind of move in the lineup, especially with OEL's contract going to hamper the team a bit for the next couple of seasons. Speaking of contracts hampering the team, Andre Kuzmenko gets benched for all of the third period last night. Wyatt, this quote came from Rick Tockett today at practice. I'll read it for you just in case you haven't heard it. This is what Tockett said. We're coaching the hell out of him. Unfortunately, I just didn't think he was skating well enough to warrant us playing him in that third period. Then he was asked about the lineup tomorrow night against Toronto, and he said, I don't know what I'm going to do with him yet. Uh, He has a lot more. He said a lot more. Like He spoke a lot about Andre Kuzmenko, but just your initial thoughts on that quote and kind of the whole situation with him and Rick Tockett. It's a tough one because it's almost like, they see more in him. That's why they give him the tough love because we've seen what he can do. He is a goal scorer. We know that. Um, and he performed very well last year. Uh, this year has probably been the yeah, obviously his worst Angel season. So you wonder like where between those two seasons does the real Kuzmenko lie? And is it a case where like he excels in that? Like that's always kind of the thought like, oh yeah, put him on like a, a crappy team. He'll get his 30 goals where there's no structure. It doesn't matter. He can go to town. But 
for a team that has designs on the cup or making the playoffs and plays a tighter system, can he survive in that? And right now it, it hasn't been the case. And maybe it's a confidence thing. Like you obviously we talk about how like this guy is happy. He's always smiling. Like he has not been smiling for a good month now. He's just, his confidence does look rattled. Um, I mean, that whole second line is well, quote unquote second line is like an issue for the team. Cause I like Suter. I think he's fine, but Mikhaev has escaped the radar because he's not doing much either. So you now have Mikhaev and you got Kuzmenko, but I think Kuzmenko's mistakes are more visual, especially because like you're almost, the spotlight's on him all the time now. Like I see it from the fans online, people talking, like he makes one mistake and everyone's like, oh, like I do it too. Like, oh, that's going to cost him. Like you can't help but now look at Kuzmenko and have everything he does is under the microscope. Whereas Mikhaev just kind of like skates along and gets away with anything. And it's not that he's playing badly, but you know what I mean? Like you're, that's the second line, you know, in these games, you're not doing anything of note. So Kuzmenko, you know, the question is, can you salvage him? And like we've seen with someone like Garland and Besser, they're not the same situation, but the same sort of thing. Whereas it looked like they were on the outs, um, you know, in Besser's case, his game, he obviously had the off-ice stuff, but he also kind of changed his game a bit. Garland, I think he just struggled and kind of found his role in the team. I don't think Kuzmenko is ever going to find that third line role that Garland had. He's never going to be that creative, you know, four checker. He is a goal scorer at the end of the day. I don't know if he's ever going to thrive in talking system. Like I've tried to keep an open mind to it, but honestly, at this point, it feels like his future is elsewhere. Okay, so there was this quote that I also want your reaction to from Jim Rutherford this morning on the topic of Andre Kuzmenko. He said, I don't know what we do more than what the coaching staff has been doing. He's lost his confidence. He's a good player and he can score. There's no doubt in my mind, whether it's in Vancouver or another NHL city, he will score. Your reaction to that quote? I mean, that's, that's a good, you know, kind of management quote because you kind of kind of paint it as, hey, this guy's a scorer. We all know it. He just might need another fresh start. So if you're trying to trade another team, hey, man, comes a bit low. You can fix them. You know, we couldn't fix them, but you can sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, those quotes, not that they're damning, but they are pretty heavy-handed in terms of like, you know, maybe management kind of told talking like, make this work. But now they're like, you know what? Coaching staff has done everything they can. Like that to me is like, yeah, you know, what more can you do? And that's not the greatest statement to hear as a player but you know at this point it is like you can't hide the Kuzmenko problem like everyone's seeing it you know talking's not going to force him in the lineup the team's winning you're not going to do you know there's only so much you can do so honestly I thought for sure there'd be a better turnaround I knew there'd be a bit of a dip from last season but I I keep thinking like for this team and for all the talk of what they want to do in the playoffs and I just I really have a hard time seeing Kuzmenko in that vision why? What you make of uh, Nikita Zadorov last night uh, challenging <laughs> Liam O'Brien, feeding him his lunch? I've got to be honest. I was at the game. That's probably one of the loudest moments I've heard the Rogers Arena crowd this season. Yeah, Zadorov three sixteen, baby. Yeah, there there is something to be said about that because you know, at the end of the day, like hockey is a game of skill, but and we always talk about fighting in the game and big hits, but that primal instinct of hockey is always there. And so, like when you see when your guys kind of get, especially with Liam O'Brien, like dropping his gloves and punching Lafferty and Lafferty not, you know, wanting to go. And he punched him three times, right? With his bare knuckles, like your sense of justice as a human being just comes to the forefront. So to have the door go out there and be like your gladiator, like it's old Roman time at this point, right? You're like, okay, there's my champion. Go out and beat the crap out of that guy. And he did like, and then and the penalty box, he's telling him, like, I just beat the bleep out of you. Like in terms of just like having a guy that goes out there, like he's not just a pure enforcer. Like we don't let that days are gone, but like he, He's been playing well for the Canucks and he stands up for not just the Pedersons of the world, but also your Lafferty's of the world. Like that's a guy that, you know, they're going to love in the room. Right. Like, and as a fan, as you're watching, like, obviously he's going to get the crowd into it. Cause you know, it's been a while since we've kind of had a guy that's been out there and has like willfully defended like Luke Shan was, they did that for a while. He got some of the same cheering, but like, there's, there's a different element when it's like a six foot seven beast of a man beating up this guy <laughs> that went after your players. Right. It's just a visual spectacle. And like, yeah, I'm, I have no doubt the crowd was jacked for that.
Okay, Wyatt, who's going to win the footballs this uh, weekend? I, the Buffalo Bills are facing the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. They're in, are they, they're in Buffalo, right? Yes, they are. It's the first road game for Mahomes and Buffalo in the playoffs. Um, the Buffalo Bills have a ton of injuries on defense. Uh, and I have my worries, and the Buffalo Bills always find ways to make me very, very sad. Uh, but that's when they'll do their best, right? I expect the least of them. So I'm assuming the Chiefs win, and then I have to watch, you know, more coverage of Mahomes winning over my Bills. But I'm going to hold out hope that the Bills can, can do this and that Josh Allen has his uh, Jordan versus the Pistons moment and kind of finally beats the, them. I hope Taylor Swift's there. What's your favorite Taylor Swift song, Wyatt? Oh, I don't even want to talk. I can't. I, I just, it's not, again, like, it's, it's a weird topic. It's touchy because it talks, like, I don't have nothing against Taylor Swift whatsoever. Good, but if good. you put anyone on TV uh, repeatedly when your team's losing, I don't want to see that. That becomes an element of sadness to me. <laughs> like, it could be Harmon appearing on my phone every time the Bills lose, and I'm going to eventually hate Harmon. Okay, that's just how it works. You become Willie Desjardins when you start <laughs> doing that. Yeah. Wyatt, thanks so much for doing this, man. Uh, have a good weekend. We really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks, boys. There he is. Wide art. Uh, make sure you read the stanchies over at Canucks Army. It was a really good one last night and tomorrow. Why it's gonna bring the heat? You know the Toronto Maple Leafs are in town. Gonna bring the heat. I'm sure he will. Uh, that was Wyatt Art of Canucks Army. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Let's get to anyone else because I think we both have a lot that we still need to talk about. Like, we haven't even talked about the game against the Coyotes yet. So let's get to anyone else and it's there that we will break it down. And of course, get our listener feedback because it's time for anyone else presented by DoorDash. There you go. It's our listener's chance to get involved and hit it up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers two five offer valid in canada subject to change terms do apply and i told you about it before folks double dash on doordash 
you can order from multiple restaurants or stores in the same delivery without additional delivery fees. So everyone can get what they want and need. So let's say you're Harmon and you're ordering yourself a bacon portobello mushroom burger from Wendy's. And then you say, oh my goodness, I'm out of toothpaste. I got to get myself some tooth. I don't know why I keep picking toothpaste. It's two days in a row I've done that. I literally, it was one of those moments where don't say toothpaste, don't say toothpaste, don't say toothpaste. And then I couldn't think of anything else and I just said toothpaste. Well, you know what? That's actually a semi-realistic scenario because two and a half weeks ago, I realized I want to start um, experimenting with uh, the Crest 3D wipes, white strips just because oh, yeah. I had a box lying around. And I was like, okay, whatever, may as well put this to use. And then I had read that you should use Sensodyne uh, for like a week or so before and during you use those strips. So I made uh, a run to the local Rexall just to get toothpaste. Oh, you could have used Double Dash. Should have used Double Dash. Just like everybody listening to this show. Okay, here we go. Uh, Anyone else? Logan Van Dyke. I don't agree with this one. Should they start handing out delay of game penalties for purposely batting the puck into the net with your hand? I mean, if playing the puck with a foot still in the box, get delay of game. It seems fair. So Rasmus Dahlin yesterday with Buffalo, of course, steps out of the box and plays the puck immediately goes back in the box for a delay of game. I don't know if you saw that. He, no, I didn't see he, that. he wasn't. So he wasn't on the ice. His feet were in the box and he reached down as he's coming out of the box, played the puck and then jumped onto the ice, which you can't do. So he immediately went back into the penalty box, which is what Logan's talking about. And then of course, yesterday as well, I think it was Logan Cooley that batted the puck into the Canucks net with his glove. I don't agree with that. It happens so rarely. I just think it's funny that like, I think it's way, you don't have to hand out a penalty. I think it's hilarious that the puck goes in, they react for like a split second. And then all the defensemen are just like, put their hand up. And then the, the score is like, ah, but they still have that split second where you're like, oh, puck in net, yay! Yeah. And then it's immediately just like, ah, never mind. I think it's fine. I think it's yeah, fine. I, don't think I loved it last that. night. Okay, this one from Jesse C. I don't take anything Francesco has to say about hockey more seriously than anything my buddies would say, but I do appreciate his candor and fandom. Yeah, that's fine. Like, Francesco Aglini's job, and I shouldn't say it's his job. He has many jobs here. But one of the things he's trying to do is sell this team to the fan base like like we've heard him be very positive about this team in the past and why wouldn't he when there wasn't actually a ton of reason to be positive about them and again you don't blame him he's the owner of the team but i understand why that might make people a little bit more i don't know i don't want to i don't even know what the right word is but a little more um guarded when francesco aguini speaks and when francesco aguini says um these positive things about the team but when it's backed by what you're seeing on the ice, I have an easier time believing it. Yeah, and his messaging in that press conference was pretty smart. He consistently brought up the importance of, fi- of fixing this for the fans, the importance of bringing a, a cup to the city. Just kept hammering that message home that, hey, we're going to give a Jim Rutherford and the front office every resource they need. And that's a really smart line of messaging for to, to deliver to your fan base. Okay, this one is from me. This just came out from our friend Matt Larkin. Uh, he reported this over at Daily Faceoff. It's up now on Connect Army if you want to read more about it. But Quinn Hughes is an all-star captain. And we heard when, when the new format was announced that there would be celebrity co-captains. Michael Buble, Burnaby's. Burnaby's Michael Buble is heading to Toronto for the all-star game. And he is going to be a co-captain with... Quinn Hughes, Canucks captain Quinn Hughes is going to be a captain at the All-Star game. And someone in the chat put it. Oh, yeah. 
Sino Chick said, uh, who does Quinn pick first? Petey that's... or his brother Jack? Oh, that's such a good point. Uh, well, because Buble's there too, I feel like Petey. Especially... Will Jack even be able to play because he's injured? Right. That's a good, that's point. good point. Yeah. Well, thanks for that great episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no. you know what would be great? All the Canucks on the same team. Right. Yeah. right? But they're going to split them up. Remember the Probably. Sidian twins got split up when there was the draft? Also, I just have to say, the NHL bringing back the draft, I was calling for this on yeah. old podcasts, I think, every year. The All-Star Weekend sucks, yeah. but bringing back the draft is such a good start. It's It'll such be a good start. I hope they make JT Miller the last pick. Oh, <laughs> oh man. man. <laughs> well, you know what? I could see Quinn making him the last Canuck. If... if I don't think this will happen, but yeah. if they tried to set it up so that all the Canucks ended up on on one team, I could definitely see because just be because funny. of how much Miller chirps and gi- gives yeah. it to his teammates. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I oh, he's gonna get it back or, or Besser because I know they like to poke fun. Oh, yeah. Besser, yes, yes. yes. Mr. Yeah. Sensitive. Mr. Se- I was just gonna say Mr. <laughs> Sensitive. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, okay, this year's event of the All Star Game is taking place in Toronto from February 1st to 3rd, and it's going to take on a bit of a different look, as we've said. The revamp format includes the return of the fantasy draft, like we said, with four captains, with a co-celebrity captain, picking their respective teams for a three-on-three tournament. So they're keeping the three-on-three format, which was awesome. That's always been a big hit, but it's not by division anymore. Four teams, uh, four captains. There's no way Hughes is getting all the Canucks. You're going to see, like, JT Miller going up against those guys potentially you're gonna see brock bester going up against them it's all it's gonna be awesome man it's gonna be great it's gonna be awesome yeah it it will be entertaining seeing them against each other though like could you imagine jt and brock going up against each other given oh how, yeah how uh how close of a relationship that they have and some of the shenanigans that happen on the ice uh that that would be pretty fun too either way this is uh this is going to be, I think, a hit, a win for Canucks fans. It's just way more fun than the divisional format. There's no intrigue. There's no suspense. There's, there wasn't a lot of fun, I think, with uh, with that format. Okay, Karan asked, uh, what is goalie interference? <laughs> Last night's call, uh, or non-call. No, it was a call. They waved off the goal uh, with JC Miller being pushed into the crease. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I don't even know what to say. The the Canucks didn't even challenge it. Um, did talk you were at the game? Did talk and speak post game about that, about the non challenge? Because on the broadcast you could see him kind of saying to Mike Yo like, "Hey, hurry up, we gotta, we gotta make a decision here." Because Mike Yo was on with the video crew, Dylan Crawford, um, and he, you know, he's like, "Hurry up, let's go, let's let's get the decision." And the Canucks never challenged it. Did talk it talk. talk so I kept writing in the press box. I didn't go down, so I'm not sure if he uh, if he addressed that. I also didn't get a great chance to look at the replay, so uh, probably probably don't have a lot to add there. But in general, I'll say this. I mean, it's not just us on the outside as media and fans that don't really know what goalie interference yeah. is. The yeah. players don't. The players don't. The it's consistently don't. inconsistent, right? You mm-hmm. see some, some plays in one game and you think, oh, that's not going to be the, a goal. Same play happens in another game. It's a goal. It doesn't make sense. I'm so excited for All Star Weekend. I just, I just, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not to change the subject. Like, goalie interference sucks. We know that. But I'm just thinking about what the teams might look like. Like, you might get to see Sidney Crosby playing with Elias Pettersson two years before he's going to come do it in Vancouver. Yeah. It's going to be cool, man. It's going to be awesome. I, the I'm excited. Biggest homer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, okay. Michael uh, Lashano 
I hope I got that right. How much credit do you guys give Jim Benning? Sure, the five Canucks are all stars are foundational, but it's hard to believe they would level up like they have this season under JB. Rutherford touched on this a little bit, maybe not so much about Benning, but he talked about how when they got this team to start playing like a team, they got the best out of everybody. All these players are having career years and everything that's going on. We all know it's great. Uh, we've touched on this before. I'll just give my spiel. Uh, I really don't give a lot of credit to Jim Benning. I think this team is only in a position where they have to worry about Elias Pettersson signing or not because of Jim Benning. Um, first of all, because he drafted him. But second of all, because they went with a bridge deal back then and they couldn't compete on Elias Pettersson's DLC. I think what we've learned this season is that Jim Benning deserves even less credit than he was getting before because we're seeing this season in what just some sharp acquisitions instead of just complete flops on the free agent market and the trade market, which is your job as a general manager. We're seeing what this team could, could have been capable of with just some minor smart additions rather than everything we saw under Jim Benning. I this team Jim Benning deserves very, very little credit for this team. Very also little. because the teardown finishing near the bottom of the NHL standings. Accidental. <laughs> well, yes, but also, and then drafting good talent, that's probably the easiest part is assembling your like nucleus. I mean, think about like Ottawa has a great nucleus. They got Brady Kachuk, they got Jake Sanderson, Shabbat, even though he's having a down year, Tim Stutzla, uh, Josh Norris. And yet they're, they're where the Canucks were last yep. year. Look at the Buffalo Sabres. They've perpetually been mismanaged, but they still have Darlene, Thompson, uh, Cousins, Zach Benson now. Like the teardown and putting the initial exciting talent isn't the hardest part. It's, well, how do you actually build out the depth? The depth. Yeah. Grady, go ahead. You got something? Well, I think you can make the case a guy like Brock Besser, you know, Thatcher Demko in the second round. You know, those are... Those are pretty good picks. Um, Quinn Hughes fell right into their lap. And then there's the whole Elias Pettersson thing with, oh, they wanted Cody Glass. So I think there is some credit to be had, but not a lot because how many chances did he have um, year after year? And they just stumbled and fumbled and always ended up at the bottom of the standings. I mean, the bubble run, like they finally had, you know, I'll give them credit, like bringing into Foley. And actually, you know, going for it in that year. But then look at the following season. You know, they prior prioritize Vertanen. Uh, they lose Tanev. You know, letting Markstrom go and having Demko was was a good signing. But they also threw a bunch of money at Braden Holpe, and then they had to buy him out. So, um, <sighs> too many mistakes. Too, too many, many mistakes. mistakes. And to this day, like the OEL buyout is going to hurt them going forward here. And credit to the new management team for cleaning up the mess of the previous one. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And the job's still not done. Like, the job is still not done. And Rutherford I'll, alluded to that a lot today. I'll also say this situation reminds me a bit of, and I want to save the entire case for um, the Canucks bye week around the time of the All-Star weekend as well. But the Benning getting fired and the Canucks rise now reminds me a little bit of the Florida Panthers with Dale Talon mm. where Talon couldn't manage cap awful pro scouting. But the one thing that they were able to accomplish was uh, drafting guys like Barkov, 
Ekblad, Huberto, who was later, of course, the centerpiece to get Matthew Kachuk. So they, again, same sort of thing, found that nucleus, messy situation, were consistently underperforming, consistently missing the playoffs. And then they went out and hired Bill Zito, who used to be an agent, smart, pro scouting evaluator. And what did Zito do? He found guys like Verhage, found guys like Duclair, who obviously isn't now. Reinhardt. Yeah, just consistently built out Brandon the actual, Montour. <laughs> yeah, consistently built out the supporting cast of that team and that's what has allowed them to take the next step. I see a lot of uh parallels between what Vancouver is doing right now and Florida's initial rise uh 2 or 3 years ago. Go look at the best defense core that Jim Benning ever put oh. together. The best one he ever put together. And also remember that his Philip Peronic was Eric Goodbranson. I think it's simple. <laughs> yeah. I think it's simple to kind of put it like that. This team's Philip defense Philip Larson, yeah, Andre Padan, Michael Delzato. Their defense core has been an issue for so long, and Benning could never fix it. Derek like he, Pouliot. Yeah, he could never fix it, no matter how many times he tried, right? And it was like, it's embarrassing for an NHL yeah. GM. That's embarrassing. He should have been put out of his misery way long before. before. Yep, yeah. yep, absolutely. Um, okay, let's see. There's a lot of people talking Crosby in the YouTube live chat. My apologies <laughs> about that, folks. Um, You're gaslighting everyone. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Ty David on this topic said, any credit Benning might have gotten goes out the window with him skipping on Kachuk. Like you said, the easiest part of it is drafting when you have high draft picks, which also we point out was done accidentally. Like this team was never trying to rebuild. They just did it. They were accidentally so bad. So, I mean, maybe he deserves credit for that, but like... A Vertanen over Nikolai Ehlers, William Nylander. Sure. Sure. Fiala, There's a Dylan lot. Larkin, yeah. There's a lot that you go back on. And oh, I don't yeah. want to rehash it all today. So no. uh we haven't even talked much about the game. The Vancouver Canucks beat the Arizona Coyotes last night uh, by a final score of two to one. Harmon, I have one takeaway to give from the game. Hoaglander showed that he can be Garland Light. When he came in off the wall on that Dakota Joshua goal, I just thought that was really cool that Hoaglander was out with that line. And you and I was talking about how maybe Hoaglander next year can be that Connor Garland light where he can drive his own third line, fourth line, whatever you want to call it. I like that from Nils Hoaglander. He played really well last night, I thought. And there was a shift that really stood out to me with about two minutes left. First of all, the fact that he's on the ice at all in that situation, given where he was at the start of the year where he couldn't earn Tockett's trust, that's massive. But that shift was a a masterpiece in how to close out a lead because he consistently, he consistently stripped a couple of pucks on the back check, won important battles, used his speed and energy to push play up the ice, got in on the four check, and almost single-handedly burned an entire Coyote shift when they were trying to push and score. And the best defense, of course, is sp- spending a shift in the offensive yeah. zone. So I thought that was masterful. So for him to have had a shift like that, to me, that's more important even than the great play he made on uh, Dakota Joshua's Goal yeah. is a sign of his progression. A nice poke check by Myers to start that playoff. Yeah. Um, just going back to that shift harm, you saw him pin the puck against the boards, like eating up clock, and that was that was crucial. And then, you know, the Miller came out with their line, I think, shortly after and won a couple key draws. But uh, that was such a team effort last night. Like, you know, all the talk about Kuzmenko, and, and rightfully so, but, you know, the power play looked good. I know people were like they wanted, wanted them to shoot more, but the way they were snapping that puck around. And then Demko, you know, he didn't have to make some crazy big saves, but he was solid enough, a couple key ones. And, um, you know, Ian Cole had a nice big block there. And, of course, we talked about uh, Big Z kind of putting Liam O'Brien, who we should note was fined uh, 
just over 2K um, by the NHL today for all those cheap shots on what Sam Lafferty. Embarrassing which was chicken for him. shit shit. Yeah, I don't know him too well. Like I, I'd be lying if I said I, I didn't even know who he was. Until I just last knew night. his big ginger beard from years before. He looked like a big leprechaun out there. He's like this. Uh, who's the guy? Bobby he's, McMahon? Is that who I didn't know? <laughs> he's yeah. lucky he's on Arizona because I'm not sure he would be in the league on uh, many other teams. Yeah, yeah. He's like he's like it's Bobby McMahon syndrome. I don't know who he is. Uh, <laughs> Liam O'Brien though. Yeah, like you said, just an embarrassing show. Like that's my first time seeing him, and I was just like, dude. Stop embarrassing yourself. It was just, that's an embarrassing game for him. Yeah, it was. Uh, Zadorov beating the wheels off. And when Zadorov throws a punch like this, this is how Zadorov punches. He like punches with his wrist. Like, he's it, not even that good of a fighter. I mean, no, Zadorov. We know he's not a good fighter. And that's what, that, like, I was watching the game and I said to my girlfriend who I was watching it with, I was like, oh, Zadorov's not the best fighter, but he is big. So maybe he'll do something here. And at the start, you're like, yeah, he's just kind of hanging on for dear life, doing the Nikita Triamkin thing, even though he had both of his gloves off. So he's one glove better than Nikita Triamkin. I was just watching it. And I'm like, yeah, he's not the best fighter. And then you start to see him throw punches and he's coming over the top. Yeah, with like hammering him He's on like the head. using his palm. He's like trying to palm strike him almost, but he's got a fist. And then he kind of, it was like, box. it was like it clicked that, he was so much bigger than him. And then he's like, wait, I can punch down on this guy. <laughs> and then it was over for O'Brien. And then Zadorov, you, you read the lips and I was, I'm not going to repeat what I read, but I beat oh the my F gosh. out of you. Oh, I just, I love it. Like, I, I don't know, man. They kept jawing at each other in yeah. the penalty box long after the play had resumed. Embarrassing for O'Brien. Uh, Embarrassing. The that, press box. That game had some playoff intensity to it. There was a lot of scrums. Canucks were so giving some pushback. Man, so tight. Man, so tight. By the way, can we talk about how wild it is that five foot nine Mike, Michael Carcone yeah. took down tried to beef Carson Cesar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I forgot Carcone was five nine. I was like, oh, he looks short. I go I like searched it up on hockey DB and I was like, oh. A quiz, by the way. Grady, don't, don't chime in. I'm curious if Quads know, know, knows this. Sure. Trade. Uh, who was he traded for? Josh Levo. Very good. Passed it. I like it. Was on Hockey DB last night. <laughs> <laughs> and Cheater. I also, I also really like Josh Levo. Like, I, I, I guess you too. and I didn't talk a lot back then because that was like before I was even really in media. But like, my first Quads hot take, I'd like to say, was probably like. Josh Levo is a top six forward and just needs more ice time. His yeah. points per 60 was really impressive. I really like Josh Levo. Yeah, I it's too bad really that he, he is uh, in summer after the bubble run. His knee got all messed up. Yeah. I really wanted them to re- sign him because he would have been cheap production, right? And that team was up against the cap yeah. and they needed the cheaper contracts. What did you guys think of the Dermot goal? Um, Kuzmenko obviously losing track of Dermot pinching in off the line. I kind of went back yeah. on the film and you see Susie step up and he makes the hit and then Heronik's chasing in the corner and that just kind of compounded to things. And yes, Kuzmenko should have had more awareness on Dermot creeping in. But, you know, if Susie's not out of position, he kind of comes across and then Heronik's chasing. Yeah, it looks bad on Kuzmenko, but it was kind of a, a chain of unfortunate events leading up to that. So... Basically, what I look at is Heronik and Susie started the the they, they made the first mistakes. Yeah. And what do we talk about a lot? Is this team has gotten so much better at not compounding mistakes. Yeah. Mistakes are gonna get compounded if Andre Kuzmenko. And they have such the a longer leash than Kuzmenko right now, right? Like especially Heronik. He can get away. Yeah, but 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 that's that's what I'm saying is yeah. is if those guys make a mistake, 
usually the Canucks forwards are able to then make sure that the mistake isn't compounded and they don't make a mistake. They can adjust. That's what this team's been so good at this year. And it's like I just said, if Andre Kuzmenko's on the ice and someone makes a mistake, there's a good chance that he's not going to have the wherewithal to adapt and cover for that mistake. And that's what we saw last night. It's simple. And he had, I think, two or three turnovers as well. He had that one inside the line, and then there was a couple that he just kind of blindly threw the puck away. And, you know, that's there's a reason why he didn't play in the third. There's a reason why he was taken off the top power play. And he didn't even get pushed on to PP2. That's what I found so against, surprising. Against the Arizona Coyotes, who, give him credit, have been pretty solid this year. But, man, oh, man, like, where do they go from here? Like you lose your spot on the, you, you lose your spot at five and five. Okay. I get it. You're protecting the lead by one goal. But when you lose your spot on the power play, that's more of a, no, I don't want you on the ice at all. I don't care if you're probably going to be a better option than PS Suter on power play one right now. I don't even care if you're better than the guy on power play two. You're not touching the ice for the rest of the game. And that was what we saw from target. Uh, Jeff Patterson wrote about it over at Canucks army. I still have to edit it. Sorry, folks. Uh, but Jeff Patterson wrote about Talkit, uh speaking with Kuzmenko today, um, or speaking about Kuzmenko, excuse me. That will be up shortly on CanucksArmy.com. Make sure that you go read it because it's a 965-word article from Jeff, and it's mostly quotes from Talkit today about Kuzmenko. So he spoke at length about Andre Kuzmenko today. This is especially notable because it's not as if this was a 3- or a 4-1 lead where, where in that situation you're thinking, okay, we also just got to make sure we don't get scored on shorthanded. Uh, it was a 2-1 game, and in those types of tight games, you get a late power play. That's your chance to bury it, to make sure that a team like Arizona doesn't have to put the dagger in, essentially. So for Taka to look at that type of scenario and say, even though we have a chance to put the dagger in, even though this is a really big moment in the game, potentially, I don't think the risk to reward is there mm-hmm. that 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 speaks volumes and uh it's um it's a tough spot to be in and, and i think that goal against and you talk about not compounding mistakes because absolutely yeah the defense didn't play that uh that sequence particularly well but what kuzmenko when you're the weak side winger you're you've got basically no responsibility other than to keep track of that defenseman yep. and if the defenseman's jumping down you gotta have the the hockey sense to uh, to make that plan again, I don't think that's a hustle thing. I don't think that's a lack of actually caring. I just don't think he has the defensive awareness to process those shoulder checks and uh, and make those reads quickly enough. And and that's ultimately why the coaching staff can put as much work in uh, as possible. Kuzmenko himself can try really hard working on his defensive game. That's going to be really difficult to see meaningful strides on in the middle of uh, of a season. And I'll say this, that's exactly the type of goal against that probably haunts talk it in the sense of if we get into the playoffs and we've got a low scoring game against Vegas or LA teams that don't give up a lot defensively, yep. like that can make the difference between winning or losing a, a playoff game. You've got to trade him at this point. You have to, you, he's not, he's not going to be, he might, he's on your playoff roster, but he is not in your playoff lineup. He's not. Well, if you can't get him in against the Coyotes, how are you getting him exactly. in, the, in the playoffs? Yep. Having said that, and I agree, he's not a talkative type of player. I don't think he's long for here. You'd be selling low on him. And, you know, what are you actually going to get back? Or rather, what would you actually have to give up 
in order to get him off the roster. I don't think you have to give anything up. I think they're holding out until a team, you know, and Washington's the one that always gets thrown out, but it's a good example, yeah. I think. A team I mean, like you'd Washington have to have says, money coming back, right? Uh, yes and no. Anthony Bovillier went for a fifth-round pick. But that's Chicago trying to get NHL players sure, on but their roster, you trying can, to get to the cap floor. Almost. So you can find a similar situation, I would yeah. say, with Kuzmenko, where they're thinking, okay, we'll rebuild this guy for the end of this season, and then he's signed through next year, and we want to compete next year. Like, mm. hell, maybe it's Chicago. I don't know. Yeah. Um. You've, there, there are options. I don't think the Canucks would be taking money back unless Kuzmenko's part of a bigger trade where right. the Canucks are getting something back yeah. that they really, really like, right? Um. Which, I mean, we've broken that down on recent shows. Hey, so you're not getting back what you would have got if you traded him last year. Absolutely. And Jay Steller on Twitter saying, so Drance might have been right to trade him last deadline. Hindsight. I'm just saying. Hey, there was an argument there. For sure, absolutely. I'm just saying, me and the old co-host on this show, we were pretty strong on wanting to trade Kuzmenko. We were clamoring for Kuzmenko to get traded. It's weird. I, I, a faction of Canucks Twitter was convinced he was scoring 50 goals this year. Here's why he's going to out outshoot his, uh, yeah, his historic, historic NHL leading shooting yeah. percentage. Okay. Uh, okay, let's see here. Okay. I think that's it. I think that's it for anyone else. Do you have anything else on the game you want to get to? We're so over time already. Like, do you have anything? I just think it was nice to see the Canucks win a playoff style game. It really felt that way. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't the type of win where you have to pump a team for five goals and, and rely on that type of high uh, octane offense. They were able to lock it down and Demko didn't have to make a lot of high, high danger saves. I mean, that first period, the way they came out was dominant. I was actually thinking to myself, I don't think they gave up a single high high danger chance until the the breakdown at the very end there. And, I, and according to Natural Statric, I don't even think they technically consider that a high, high danger chance. So defensively, I thought they were really stingy. This team has made so many strides in terms of in the defensive zone, escaping pressure, and in situations where the team is forechecking aggressively. They have speed. They have some tenacity of just being able to somehow get it out of the defensive zone, whether it's with control or glassing out and then you're winning battles in the neutral zone with your forwards to advance play up the ice. That was extremely impressive for me in the first period, especially. And again, different style of win, which you like to see. I love it. Okay. I have a few takeaways from the game. My Betway bet of the day hit. My light the lamp pick was correct. And my Wendy's daily faceoff survivor pick was also correct. I made all three of those picks that I had to do on yesterday's show. I made them all surrounding this game. My Betway bet that the Canucks would win, nailed it. My light the lamp pick that Elias Pettersson would score the first goal for the Canucks, nailed it. And my Wendy's DFO survivor pick that Keller would have Clayton Keller would have no points, nailed it. Big thanks to Thatcher Demko there because there was a sequence where Keller came in alone off the rush yeah, and I, I was remember. just like, "No, no, don't, don't not like this, not like this." And Keller did not get a point. So I'm back. I'm still in the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor game. And I've got uh, my pick for tomorrow's game. Wyatt Johnson just needs to get a point. He just needs to get a point against the New Jersey Devils. And I I win the week. I win the week and I pick up some points. There's only 25 of us left in the game this week. I've never been on a heater like this. And I'm excited to see uh, what comes of it. But we'll, we'll see quads on Monday. heater parlay. That's right. Yeah, I like that. The quads heater parlay. I love it. Okay. Um... Let's get to our Betway bet of the day. Brought to you by our friends over at Betway. Bring it up, Grady. There it is. Florida Panthers to beat the Minnesota Wild 
at minus 210 odds. A $10 bet will return you $14.76 over at Betway. Must be 90 plus play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. Harmony, do you know why I picked this? No. Because the Minnesota Wild are on a skid, and it's all part of the bigger plan for Joel Erickson oh. to come to the Vancouver Canucks <laughs> at the trade deadline. You heard it here first. Folks, uh, we need the Florida Panthers. Are you Taj? You're Taj on Twitter, aren't you? <laughs> no, so actually, I, I saw this debunked once. So someone actually said, oh, maybe, maybe, because, you know, people throw out theories all the time. They're like, maybe Taj is quads. And I, I heard this thrown out there. And someone else replied and goes, hasn't Taj been tweeting since like 2009? And then someone's like, oh, good point. Because <laughs> that would have meant that nine-year-old me fires up a Twitter account and starts just transcribing all of the Canucks media stuff. And no, Yeah, you so- have all that extra time on your hands to go through every single article, every single radio hit, you know, video, podcast, whatever. That's You're the other thing. That. Aside from my age and having to have been nine years old when I started the Taj account, <laughs> if I ran the Taj account and I found all those quotes... Those would all be on Canucks Army. I'd, I would be linking to Canucks Army articles. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I transcribed this quote, but I put it on Canucks Army, so go read it there. No, I, I have a theory who it is. I don't know if I'm going to say it. Okay, well, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a son of a former GM. I can't prove that. I'm just I'm just throwing it out. I don't think perhaps. that's either. It goes back to the time time thing, right? Like, why do you – yeah, anyways. I don't who knows? Know. Anyways. Um but who knows? You ha- you would have had a lot of time on your hands in the elementary school. Yeah, not a lot of responsibility. That's a good point. A good it point. Ta- Are you even allowed on the internet then? It, it takes a lot of uh, of time to be transcribing all those uh, interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be tough for an adult with a lot of responsibilities. That's a good point. That's how you learned how copy and paste works. That's right. What are you saying about Tosh? <laughs> Just kidding. That you're him. <laughs> <laughs> all Confirmed. Right. Uh, did, did you guys have anything else you wanted to get to? We're going into the weekend. Um, anything else that anybody wanted to get to before we go to the weekend? Score predictions. Canucks Leafs. Four o'clock start Saturday. Uh, five to three for the Canucks. I like that. I could see it being a higher scoring game. Yeah. The Leafs don't defend they very well. They can't get well. a save. Six four, Vancouver. Ah. Demko lets in four goals, though. Yeah, he's been better of late. That's yeah, I'm going to sure. say Possibly six. with Matthews. You never know. Matthews had two. No, he sucks. Did he have two or three last night? I think he completed the hat I trick. think he did too. Yeah. Well, this Patterson's got 11 goals in his past eight games. I thought it was nine. What? I thought it was nine. Is it eight or nine? Did I just completely put a misinformation we headline need a, out there? We need a fact check errors and omissions segment. Oh, nine games? Yeah. Not goal? Okay, I thought you meant no, nine goals. No, 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 no. Scared no. me. Okay, so 11 goals in the past nine? I called Oliver Moore yesterday, Will Smith. That happens. So why didn't anybody correct me? I put this as a headline, and no. usually well, people jump on Because mistakes. you're the I editor. I had a chance to double check. Can you check my laptop just died? <laughs> you're oh the God. editor. You're supposed to fact check yeah, everything yourself. Yeah, and I yourself. did a few times. And so what actually happened was I, I put, originally I had put uh, 12 goals in eight games, and then I, like, I checked it again because I, tri- I, like, triple checked it. And I was like, okay, so it must be 11. Okay, hang on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. In one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, <laughs> nine games. You're right, Harmon. <laughs> Got to change that headline. <laughs> glad, glad we. Uh, I'm charging overtime now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> is this the lo- this is the longest show we've had in a while? I think this is the longest show we've had in a while. I mean, if you don't count 
us doing an entire show and then Nikita Zadorov oh, getting acquired yeah. as soon as we went off. I air. think last Friday went pretty long too. Last Friday did. I like our Friday long shows. People are yeah. hanging out in the chat. Uh, you got the but, whole weekend to listen to it. That's right. Yeah, people got a lot of time to listen to it. And this won't be outdated because I just gave the correct score prediction. So anyways, <laughs> um, we'll close it out there for my co-host Harmon Dial and our technical producer Grady Sass and our intern Lachlan Irvin. My name is Dave Quigelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 